0: Good morning, I'm Jim McGinnis and this is Stories We Can Tell. This is February, an unseasonably warm one at that, and baseball is upon us. I'm sitting out here on the back porch watching the sprinklers. This particular story involves two good friends, Pete Donovan and Jason Arnold. In my book, I modeled a character after Pete, but his disguise was thin. Everybody that knows him knew who I was talking about. Anyway, this is the real story, the whole story as I remember it. See you at the ballpark. I drove home and greeted the dogs. They were only too happy to see me six notebooks were spread across the table. Sentences and paragraphs were scattered amongst them, but it had been four days since I added a single word to my work. Each day I would sit down to write, but what I had come to think was natural as breathing had now become hard. What was once a labor of love was now just labor. I sat in front of an antique Remington typewriter staring over at the bookshelf. There beside the fireplace were biographies of Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, and Barry Goldwater. You could find The Old Man and the Sea, Bob Dylan's Chronicles, and a book of Irish verse. Frost, Twain, and Sandberg were up there, along with Steinbeck's biography of Captain Henry Morgan. There were Grant's memoirs, Common Sense, Walden, and the Holy Bible. But mixed in with them, you could find Ted Williams, Science of Hitting, a book on Earl Weaver's baseball strategy and a copy of baseball's greatest moments. Alongside Churchill's History of the English Speaking Peoples, Charlie Lau, The Art of Hitting 300 Will Catch Your Eye, along with The Boys of Summer and a collector's album of George Brett's stellar career. I got up and poured two fingers Jameson into a glass, thinking maybe this will help, I said to my dogs. Maybe it won't. I turned on the TV to check the ball game, but quickly turned it off in hopes of focusing. But I was tied to technology just like everybody else, and I checked my phone for messages. There was one from Jason, a former student and player who now spent his days teaching English and, oh yeah, coaching baseball. A text conversation ensued. Jason. Ted Williams must have been a real prick not to win the MVP in 1942. Stats aren't even close. Me. Kiss no asses. Jason. He scored 52 more runs than Joe Gordon. And did you know Gordon led the league in strikeouts errors and grounding into double plays? Me. Media bias. 41. Ted hit 406. 47. Triple crown and no MVP Jason yeah at least DiMaggio had the streak in 41 but still wow Ted had 162 walks in 47 and still won the Triple Crown Jason was an old soul A few weeks before he had sent me a list of the many reasons he loved baseball it was a visceral description filled with sights sounds and smells of the game Jason Was yet another former student who had schooled me. He had given up pro ball and then traveled up and down the ladder of coaching until he found the right balance between his love for the game and his love for family and community. His story had humbled and inspired his old coaches. Pete and I would often sit in the bleachers and admire his teaching. A new text came. Jason, how about this? In 1947, Three Yankees got more first place MVP v- votes than Triple Crown winning Ted Williams. Me. Boston Press slayed him. He'd skip a banquet to visit a sick kid and then rip the guy. He'd never bother explaining it and it boiled up inside him. Ever hear about him flipping off the whole stadium? Jason. Ha. I remember you telling me he called himself Ted Effing Williams. Me. I guess a five year combat veteran can do what he wants. Jason, yeah, especially when that five-year combat veteran is the greatest hitter that ever lived. Me, amen. Did I ever tell you how John Wayne patterned his cowboy characters after Ted? Jason, never heard that one. I couldn't remember when baseball didn't have a grip on me. As far as playing goes, I had no special claim to fame. I was a pretty good center fielder. I could go get the ball in the gap but my bragging rights rested upon my love for the game. My wife had called it an obsession, and maybe she's right, but I believed it to be a blessing. It was something I had been touched by, something I was reluctant to try to explain, but often found myself doing exactly that. Once you have it, or it has you rather, there's no letting go. It never leaves you. Some become coaches. Some have to keep doing it till they can't anymore. Whether it's playing summer leagues or slow-piss softball, they can't help keep scratching the itch. Oh, some stop and move on, but this game still calls them. If you look closely, their passion is revealed. Maybe the guy's helping with his kid's t-ball team. He'll pick up a bat and stare at it for just a second too long. He'll retrieve a foul ball and rub it up, or spin it before throwing it back game cast a spell. It makes old men still walk with a swagger. They seem to carry around a serene belief that somehow they could still drop down a bunt or backhand a ball in the hole and throw the runner out. When I pick up a bat it fits in my hands just as it did decades ago. Even the smells are there conjuring up something sacred like the ashes, the incense, and the holy water. Jim Bouton had it right. You spend a good piece of your time gripping a baseball and in the end it turns out that it was the other way around all the time I leafed through my notes on Jefferson and Lincoln and then put them away I sat back on the recliner and turned the game back on hmm I sat on the back porch in front of the fan and sipped a morning beer. It had nothing to do with the mournful voices of Johnny Cash or Chris Kristofferson. Well, that's not completely true. But actually I had a powerful headache and for some reason I thought the beer would help. I read very little this weekend and wrote even less. Sunday morning was weighted down by the remnants of a family squabble stuck in my head how we do piss away our time over mindless bullshit. Marley Donegan, the chocolate lab, was sprawled out on the floor 10 feet away. An indie black dog was wandering around the yard somewhere. I thought of how dogs paid no never mind to such mundane things. Dogs know what time it is, I said to no one there. I remembered how they never left my side when I was sick. They seemed to have a particular instinct about things and every morning, there was sheer joy springing from them. Every day is Christmas, I like to say. Andy found her way to the screen door, bringing a small stick as a gift, but she seemed only halfway interested in playing. Bird song broke out suddenly from the ancient oaks and the morning seemed to lighten. The pain in my head seemed to lessen, and I wondered if the reason was the Christmas dogs, the birds, or the beer. I checked my phone and there was indeed a text message from Pete. Meet me after the game tomorrow? I smiled and texted back that I was agreeable and that I was actually planning on coming to the game anyway. Now that may well have been a stretch of the truth. I hadn't been to a game yet this season. Next day though, I found myself standing at the top of the football bleachers out beyond the left field fence, leaning on the rail and eating a tangerine. I could see Pete in the 3rd base coach's box, hands on his knees, immersed in the game. I soaked in the sights and sounds of everything around me. I thought about walking down to the dugout but decided against it. To say that I missed baseball would be an understatement. Once the game touches you, it never leaves you. It's always there. I could still feel the thrill of chasing a ball down in the gap, dropping down a bunt to start a rally, and that was 45 years ago. My love for baseball was marrow deep. I needed to get away from coaching for a while, but that didn't make it any easier. Attending a game, though, felt odd. Aside from being a good friend, Pete was on the perfect guy to work for. He trusted his assistant coaches and gave them free reign in their areas of expertise. When the game started, though, it was all Donovan, and it was an absolute joy to watch. No one had better instincts, his players loved to play for him. Some didn't realize that until they graduated. The dugout was always dotted with alumni who came out to root for the latest group of Bulldogs even though Pete was fiery, caustic, and extremely competitive, his players always seemed to have more fun than those on other teams. kind of reminded me of my college days with Les. There was a simple joy about his program that few had seen around the diamond. Melbourne won 5-4, to four, another close one. There was a one-word text from Pete on my phone, and I, when I checked it, Long doggers, it said. I walked in my truck and headed across the river to meet Pete. It had been a pretty warm over the past few days, but February was returning to Florida, so I grabbed my hoodie since we'd be sitting outside. It took Pete a while, so I sat by myself watching a surfing video, drinking a Hatteras Red. Finally, the Gator Blue Honda pulled up can't believe you didn't bunt in the sixth, I said with a smile. Screw you. The server came out, and Pete ordered a bud and asked for a menu. So, Mac, what have you been doing all weekend? Sitting on your porch talking to dogs? As a matter of fact, I have, was my response. Oh, before I forget, Pete said, we had Joe behind the plate Friday. He asked about you. Really? Joe's a good guy." Yeah, said Pete, one of the few umpires you ever got along with. Oh, and you're Congeniality. The jabs continued. We could make it an Olympic event. The fact of the matter was, Pete's razor-sharp sense of humor kept him out of trouble with umpires. 45 years in Florida didn't dull the edge of his Long Island accent, and umpires couldn't get too mad waiting for one of his patented one-liners. So, ready to come back, Pete asked. He always kept the door open for me, but I just laughed and sipped my beer. How's your diet going, I asked. I heard you're trying to kick the cholesterol medicine. Shut the hell up. Just then, Pete's order of chicken wings and onion rings arrived. You got no room to talk. Hey, Pete said with his mouth full, we gotta get to a spring training game. We arrived at the game just in time for the Star Spangled Banner. Pete bitched about having to pay to park at a spring training game we sat down with overpriced beers and a bag of peanuts to share. Pete, however, was physically unable to avoid buying a hot dog. The trip out to Vieira had been a spur of the moment thing. I'd gotten a call from him. Nat's meth today, wanna go? I couldn't refuse. I told Pete that I hoped we ran into Tom Finney and his family. They've been seasoned ticket holders for God knows how long. Talk to Tom much, Pete asked. Not as much as I'd like, I answered. Now there's a guy with a nasty curveball. Wasn't afraid to throw inside either. He'd move your feet, then here comes the hook. Tom had been out of baseball for decades, but still we coaches and players are connected by our days on the diamond. Tom seems kind of mellow to me, said Pete. Shit. When he got on the mound, he was one tough SOB. Good man though. I'd walk through hell in a gasoline suit for that guy. A little early for Pete Rose quotes, don't you think? I just laughed at myself. Didn't Tom spend some time in the Mets organization? asked Pete. Oh yeah. He had two pitches and didn't need a third one. I smiled at the memory of Finney on the mound. When he pitched it was his game. How about Les? Any news on how he's doing? Les Hall was my coach, a pivotal player in the whole scheme of things. He's not well, I remember, sadly. I haven't seen him since that little reunion a few years ago. You know, Mac, that was one guy that I wish I would have gotten to know better. He was something. I said with a smile on my face. I remember one of the biggest compliments was, you can play. Pete laughed. Kind of ironic, don't you think? Your mentor, a man of few words, and you, the guy famous for his long-winded post-game speeches and pre-game. I smiled and shook my head. Yeah, Les saved his bullets. I wonder, Pete said. That works today, with these kids. Well, Peach, you seem to do a pretty damn good job without blowing too much smoke up their asses. Don't call me Peach, he barked. It was a nickname Daryl Buchanan and I had made up years ago. Peach Donovan. The game moved along quickly. Bryce Harper took three called strikes and then sat down. He's saving his bullets too, Pete quipped, bringing a smile to my face again. During the middle innings, my mind drifted back to Coach Hall again and how important he and other coaches had been in shaping me as a man. I remembered my junior varsity coach Steve Wilson, a Marine. From the beginning, Wilson was not impressed with my fortitude, my work ethic, my grit. I'd grown up a pretty tough kid, but I'd never been pushed, and Coach Wilson's practices were torturous. It was as if he wanted me to prove that I loved the game, not to him, but to me, myself. I wondered why the man spent so much time and energy trying to make me better, but soon I discovered that there were bigger issues at hand, like manhood. Eventually I learned how to push myself as Wilson pushed me, and I thought often about the old Marine and promised myself to look him up someday and thank him but I haven't ever gotten around to it. In the middle of the eighth inning, Pete asked me if I was ready, and I said, yes, I've got some things to do. Yeah, I'm like sitting on the back porch and talking to dogs, he said with a smirk. Actually, Jackass, it's my niece's birthday I need to get her something. She's a jewel. Yeah, isn't she about done at UCF, asked Pete? Yeah, I think so. I hope she's going to the Keys with this on spring break. Oh, that sounds like fun. Stuck out on a fishing boat with you guys. She loves it. It's in her blood. Yeah, and baseball's in your blood.